Before I had this disease, my life was very, very active. I would water ski, snow ski, jump up and down, crawl on my knees, work in the yard on my knees. I would climb trees to prune things. I would run after my kids. I would run after dogs. And then I get the disease. And all that all of a sudden stops. You can't crawl like you used to. You can't jump like you used to. You can't walk like you used to. That's what RA does to you. RA, rheumatoid arthritis. It's an autoimmune disease that attacks tissues near the joints and other body parts, including the lungs. It can be incredibly painful and debilitating. Linda Sloat's arthritis might not seem that unusual for her age. She's 70 this year. But unlike many others her age, she's been living with the pain for more than 40 years now. She was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when she was just 30 and the mom of three little kids. It's a relatively rare form of autoimmunity that affects about 20 million people around the world. And while there are treatments that work for some, there is currently no cure. Today we're sharing the story of Linda's decades living with rheumatoid arthritis and a team of researchers who are trying to understand how the disease starts and how to stop it in its tracks. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say, I would hope that within the next five to 10 years, we'll have a big step forward for prevention. And maybe in 15 to 20 years, it'll be fully integrated into how we handle rheumatoid arthritis. We are really getting close to understanding how we can prevent disease. I'm Rob Piercy. I'm Rachel Tompa. And this is Lab Notes, a podcast from the Allen Institute. When it takes this long, it's just, you know, it's hard just to get this much done before you even start to exercise. But you always have to put a smile on every day and count your blessings. It's mid-morning on a blue sky Seattle Wednesday, and Linda Sloat is doing something that most of us take for granted. She's putting on her socks and shoes to go for a walk. And right now, I'm counting my blessings because I have new feet because it would have taken me a lot longer to put these shoes on with my old feet. Linda is less than two months post-op from a surgery to reconstruct her feet. Rheumatoid arthritis had deformed them to the point that normal shoes no longer fit. One obstacle of many in her decades-long battle with RA. On a bad day with RA, without any medicine, you feel every part of your body hurting, from the top of your head, to your teeth, to your neck, to the covers on you when you're sleeping, they're hard to move, your fingers hurt, um, your toes. I mean, it's from the top to the bottom of your body. 40 years ago, Linda Sloat was a young mom raising a family with her husband, Mike. I did a lot of sewing. I always made their clothes. You know, my boys, not so much. When they were babies, yes, but when they got older, they didn't want these shirts and everything that I would, you know, and shorts that I would make them. But I did a lot of sewing for my daughter. 
In time, all of that fabric snipping and sewing became increasingly painful. And I thought my hands were really starting to hurt. You know, at nighttime I couldn't go to bed without getting cramps in my shoulder. And I thought, geez, you know, what's wrong, you know? So uh, my girlfriend's husband was a tin snipper and he had carpal tunnel. And she explained to me what that was. And I said, oh, that's almost like the way I feel. So I went to a doctor. Sure enough, they found out I had carpal tunnel in both of my hands, and so they did the surgery on my hand. And back then, it would have been in the 80s, they didn't biopsy any of your, you know, the things that they took out of you. So at that point, you know, it was just carpal tunnel. And then after I had the surgery, my feet started really bothering me, and I started getting symptoms of having the flu. And when you're trying to raise three kids, it was really hard to be, you know, sick, you know. Maybe not everyone knows this, but rheumatoid arthritis can affect more than just the joints. It can cause overall body aches and flu-like symptoms. So I thought, oh, this, you know, something's not working right here, you know. I thought I, you know, I better check this out. So I went to the doctor and he said, well, I'll take some blood work. And And he said, you know, I think you might have some type of arthritis. He said, but we need to do another blood draw to see if you do have it. A few days later, the phone rang. And he called me and said, the signs are rheumatoid arthritis. I thought rheumatoid arthritis was for old people. And I was not old. You know, I was 30. I never thought that somebody young could get this disease. The news was devastating. Now there are a lot of support groups, but back then, you know, there weren't any support groups that you could say, this is how I feel, you know. And um, I just knew I had to keep going because I had to raise my family. It was the early 80s. There were treatments for rheumatoid arthritis, but none of them was very effective for Linda. For decades, one of the mainstays of rheumatoid arthritis treatment was injections with gold salts but it didn't work very well for many people. Right away, you know, you know, put me on gold, methotrexate, and all these drugs that were out there at the time, which then they made me really sick, you know. So I thought, oh, this is, you know, not the best way to live with three kids, you know. When I had the gold shots, you know, like the fifth shot, and they have to do it in your bottom, it was very painful. And then nothing would happen, you know. The pills made you sick. I lost weight uh, with methotrexate, and so then he was doing gold shots, methotrexate, then just methotrexate, then prednisone. Um, I had just numerous different ones that never worked and made me ill. Nauseousness, um, hair loss, um, worst achy body ever, flu symptoms, joints aching worse than they normally did. It was, you know, hard. It was very frustrating. Despite all the pain and the frustration, Linda is by nature an eternal optimist. Her husband, Mike. It's just Linda. She, her attitude is so great. And if you talk to any one of her girlfriends, uh, they will say that she, she has that spirit and that drive. Nothing gets her down. Nothing. I think the biggest thing is when you find out that you get a disease, you have to have a positive attitude. Because you were here 
to live your life. And if you live it miserably, you know, it's not healthy for you. So Linda went to work at a nearby Catholic school. With swollen hands, she'd tie dozens of pairs of shoelaces every day. When the kids that I worked with saw my hands, they thought, you know, why are your hands so large? You know, they're not supposed to look like that, you know. And one of the kids in my class, you know, when they're kindergartners, they, they say anything. And he said, hey, Mrs. Sloat, he says, why are your hands so big? And I said, well, I have rheumatoid arthritis. And I explained to him what it was. And he said, well, it's a disease. Can you give it to me? And I said, no, I can't give you this disease. And he said, well, if you ever ran into a burglar, you could always give him a good wallop. For people with rheumatoid arthritis, the inflammation in their joints can be so severe that it causes permanent disfigurement. Linda's hands and feet were getting to that point already. Any picture that I would take, my hands would never be in the front. They'd always be behind me. Um, I would try to get in the angle of the picture where they wouldn't see my feet. You know, um, that's, that was hard, you know. And you have to use your hands all the time you know, like writing something, and people would look, you know, and they'd say, oh, you know, what's wrong with your hands? They wouldn't say it, but they, you could tell that they were looking and wondering. And Linda was wondering when her doctors would figure out a treatment that worked. But, you know, I just figured, well, they know what they're doing, and I'm not getting any better, but maybe something's going to happen. You know, I kept waiting for that to happen, but it wasn't. That's when my doctor... He was really into a lot of research, and he was, you know, trying to get a program together with this new drug that was coming out, and I think that's how I started in, in the Enbrel study. Enbrel is the brand name of the drug Etanercept, which came out in the late 90s. It's what's known as a biologic. Biologic drugs are produced from living organisms or contain parts of living organisms. In the case of Enbrel, it's synthesized inside hamster ovary cells in petri dishes in the lab. Given by injection, it works by tamping down a protein that's part of our body's inflammatory immune response. In patients with rheumatoid arthritis, that immune response, for reasons not fully understood, goes out of control. The day after Linda got her first Enbrel shot? I could not believe the way I felt. I was like oh my gosh, this is a miracle. In the mornings before, I would have to pull my fingers apart because they were like little balls and could barely walk on my feet, you know, just to get up. And I was able to get up. My hands weren't, you know, together in a ball. And I was able to go outside on a, on a cement floor without any shoes on. And I thought, this is a miracle. And Ever since, it's been like that. So, you know, it, it was a miracle. It really was. This is my Tuesday morning of giving myself my embryo shot, which I mix up. They come in all these little safety things that you have to get off. That's sort of hard sometimes, especially when you have hands that are hard to make these things work. Linda's been on Enbrel now for more than 20 years. It's helped her lead a more normal life. And I have to do this twice a week, today Tuesday, and then again on Friday. But for other patients, Enbrel and other drugs like it, isn't the wonder drug that it has been for her. And I think that speaks to 
the concept that rheumatoid arthritis, while we call it one disease, has several subtypes. And so certain people may not respond to all therapies. That's Dr. Kevin Dean, an RA researcher and clinician from the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. Dean and his colleague, Dr. Michael Hollers, who heads the Division of Rheumatology at CU Anschutz, have been working to understand how rheumatoid arthritis begins. A dominant hypothesis that we've played a major role in developing in Colorado is that the disease that ultimately appears to a physician as rheumatoid arthritis is a process that actually starts in various mucosal sites. That means that even though we think of rheumatoid arthritis as a joint disease, doctors Dean and Hollers believe it could actually begin on the mucosal tissue. These are the kind of slimy surfaces of our lungs, our mouth, our digestive tracts. They're much more sensitive to the environment and more prone to inflammation. The idea is that you normally want to get rid of that inflammation, whatever's causing the inflammation. But for any number of reasons, uh, individuals can't get rid of that inflammation. And the immune response, which is normally supposed to get rid of it, evolves over time to start to target your own body, your own joints, your own tissues. In the beginning, Dr. Dean says rheumatoid arthritis is like a small candle flame. And then it progressed over time, like to a campfire size, and then finally a full-on forest fire. Unfortunately, when mostly we diagnose people with rheumatoid arthritis, they're at the forest fire stage. When we can target certain parts of that and dampen those flames, but it's gotten to such a high level that it's really hard to put it out completely. You know, fire gets so big, it creates its own weather pattern and lightning, and then it can start more fires. Rheumatoid arthritis is kind of like that. It get, the inflammation goes out of control, and something new happens that also further dysregulates it. And so understanding those ancillary processes, I think, are very important. Together with rheumatologist Dr. Gary Firestein and his lab at UC San Diego School of Medicine, the researchers have partnered with the Allen Institute for Immunology to understand how rheumatoid arthritis begins and how to stop it. To use Kevin's uh, forest fire analogy, when the forest is burned down, you don't know how it started. So there's no retrospective way to figure this out. So you need to look and see where it starts and how it starts. And that's a, a hugely important question. Over the course of three to five years, the team will study 60 volunteers who all have the blood markers for rheumatoid arthritis, but who have not yet developed the disease and then following those individuals over time to watch their progression to arthritis. Throughout that, we're studying their blood in depth multiple times a year, studying mucosal surfaces, including the lung and the gut to see how that's interacting with their body's total immune system. Once they do develop the classic rheumatoid arthritis, the joint disease, then we get a biopsy of their joint as well. So now we can look at an individual from this early triggering through blood-based changes into the joint disease. So we'll be able to look at each one of those components and say, what are the immune changes here, here, and ultimately a joint disease. The Allen Institute for Immunology has built out a sophisticated research pipeline to process those volunteer biosamples to get a really detailed look at what's happening with their immune system over time. Understand that, compare it to people who don't get rheumatoid arthritis that are also being studied in the Allen Institute projects. So we understand these are the abnormal pathways. These are key to developing rheumatoid arthritis. 
and then being able to build on that to identify ways to alter those pathways so people do not progress to disease. Remember the old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure? That's really the hope here, that you could treat people who have markers of rheumatoid arthritis before they ever get the disease, and ultimately prevent it from taking hold. It could be that existing treatments would go a lot farther if people took them before they ever develop symptoms. The research teams are also looking for new drug targets as they sift through the data from the study volunteers. It's not unlike the approach cardiology has taken with people who have a family history of or risk factors for heart disease. Doctors prescribe lifestyle changes, dietary changes, and medications like statins, which lower cholesterol, before heart disease has taken hold. So similarly, what we'd like to do is to be able to identify new therapeutic targets that are in this at-risk asymptomatic phase of rheumatoid arthritis and use those kinds of drugs in individuals and keep them from developing the disease. Our goal in Colorado, working with the Allen Institute and our colleagues at UCSD, is to be completely cured, completely stopped, completely prevented. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I would hope that within the next five to 10 years, we'll have a big step forward for prevention. And maybe in 15 to 20 years, it'll be fully integrated into how we handle rheumatoid arthritis. We are really getting close to understanding how we can prevent disease. For Linda Sloat, it's progress with promise for the future. While rheumatoid arthritis has not yet been proven to be hereditary, it does appear to run in some families, and researchers believe there is a genetic component. Linda has always feared that her children and grandchildren may have to live through what she did. My grandkids, there's hope, you know, for the future of the kids that are out there that have these diseases or their parents have them or their grandparents have had them, you know. There's hope that there'll be treatment for these children that might have something. Almost makes me cry because I don't want them to have these hands or the feet or the achy body. I don't want that. I don't want anybody to have that. My hope is that one day this is going to help everybody. You know, it's just going to be a miracle, and I know it will be, because it's just going to happen. I know it. During our interview, Drs. Dean and Hollers emphasized their gratitude to the volunteers participating in this study. Their generosity of time and of themselves is invaluable. The research simply wouldn't happen without them. Linda Sloat is a volunteer in a different study at Benaroya Research Institute at Virginia Mason in Seattle, which is also partnered with the Allen Institute for Immunology for studies of immune health. I'm Rob Piercy. I'm Rachel Tampa. For more Lab Notes episodes and science research news, visit our website at alleninstitute.org. Thanks for listening.